I had to do nothing today. <laughs> I I watched about thirty recorder videos. Yeah, that sucked. And the thing is, it's like some kids like they're all using different devices. So some of them are like their record their microphones really really soft. So I turn my speakers all the way up. Sure. And get like right up in there. And then the next kid's like, some kids got a professional setup. My eyes, yeah. Hey everybody, I'm Chris. I'm Steven. We like board games and beer. We decided to pair them. We think you should too. Welcome to Table Hops. What's up, bud? Not much. It sounds like you're having a great day. I am. Three philosophers <laughs> here to the rescue. Mm-hmm. On Saturday, March 7th, okay, at 3 p.m., there is the kickoff of the Spicy Beer Challenge from Maltese Brewing Company out of Fredericksburg. Okay. Are you ready to hear the description? Yeah, what do you this? have to do? You have to drink a pint of this beer that was brewed with a Carolina Reaper. Oh, no. Now, hold on. Hold on. Not just one Carolina Reaper. How many do you think there are? Three? 250. That's too many! <laughs> God, um, the glass is the best thing in the world. It looks like a classic Monopoly get out of jail card. Oh but he's, no, he's got fire coming out of his butt. Oh, God. I think it's gonna that would just melt me. I'd be like the Nazi in like um, Indiana Jones. <laughs> so I'd never heard of Maltese Brewing Company. Okay, um, until when this challenge came up. Sure, what a great marketing scheme. Yeah, um, they are a uh, they're a brewery that's all all the guys who work there are old firefighters. Oh, neat. Yeah, they're retired firefighters who started a brewery. They look to be, like, fairly successful. I'd probably put them up there with, like, Bold Mariner okay. for, like, local breweries in Fredericksburg. Sure. So Okay, nice. Um, I'm going to be up there in June, so I'm going to check them out and yeah. see what's up. What's well, your What's your go-to beer with, like, ramen or, like, Asian food? Kirin Ichiban, I guess. But really? I'm not having, like, a great time. Oh, yeah, my favorite, well... like I love Sapporo. Sapporo? I'm a Kirin guy over, over Sapporo, but sure. they're both... Look, actually, Asahi is probably better, but I'm not happy about any of them. <laughs> like, I'd probably go with an Asahi first. Yeah. But like, if I go to like a you know a Hibachi Grill or something like that, I sure. might get get a, a Tall Boy Sapporo or something like that. Right. Or if I go to a Mexican place, I'll get a Negro Modelo or something. But I'm not like happy with myself. <laughs> I do it, you know. Because there are some much better Asian breweries, and and you know. Sure, but no one has them. That's very true. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, you know that you're drinking eff- effectively Coors Light, right. but because they're always ice cold. They have to be. They're always like, they're 90% like water and then a little <laughs> bit of rice, yeah. <laughs> but they're always like, it, it's nothing beats an ice cold Sapporo with like a, like right before you, you, you drink a sake. Like okay. it's just, yeah. Have you had a sake bomb? Yes, of course it's I've a, had a sake bomb. I haven't had a soccer bomb in years, and I will not have one anytime soon. Right, because you're not 21 anymore. That's very true. <laughs> if I did it now, I would just die. Um, you know, the only um, beer of that caliber that I just, I just, it's not a disappointment. Like, you know, when you drink like those, you're like, eh, it's kind of like a watery beer-ish thing. But there's some that I taste, and I'm like, oh, that's disgusting. It's Tecate. I just can't Tecate. Really? Something about the taste of it. It's like someone took my shitty like Mexican lager and put like potpourri in it. But if you had Tecate light, that sounds worse. <laughs> that sounds much worse. <laughs> but have you had the shittier version? <laughs> and they always have them on the, the specials with taco Tuesday and a Tecate. That's a lot of teas. Well, I, I guess Modelo. There's no other like Negro Modelo is my favorite one out of those. Yeah, certainly. But I don't think there's another like Mexican 
popular beer, I guess. Corona. Well, sure, but, but like, not so much anymore. <laughs> and now that it's uh, causing everyone yeah, to get know. sick, you know, I know. I don't... Oh, man. Pacifica. The, uh... Is that Mexican? Mm-hmm. Okay. I might be lying, but I'm pretty sure it is. <laughs> I said that with like a yep. Sure is. I think it's El Presidente's beer, right? Like, I think it's... Oh, it is. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. La Cerveza del Pacifico. Yeah. We did it. You know, one beer from down yonder <laughs> that I drank a lot <laughs> down of... Down under? Was, uh, no, not, 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 not Foster's. Was, Foster's. Uh, what is it? Imperial in Costa Rica. They, oh, yeah? like, love that beer. Okay. Like, they are... they It's everywhere. Like, you can get one probably at a McDonald's. They just love <laughs> that beer so much. They're very proud of it. It's not great. Yeah. But don't have enough of them. Don't Asian countries really like Heineken? Uh, I don't know. Um, I feel, I've never liked Heineken. I never honestly. liked Heineken either, but I feel like... I feel like I've heard that Asian countries love Heineken, and, like, that is, like... That's Ameri- That's American beer to them. I will drink a Heineken if I'm eating a hot dog. And that is... Is that because you boil it in the Heineken? (laughs) (laughs) I never liked Heineken. Heineken to me just smells skunky. Doesn't your dad like Heineken? My dad likes that and Miller High Life. (laughs) The champagne of beers. I feel like I need to get my dad... You know what my dad would like is Stella Artois. I feel like if I get him on that, he'll just coast on Stella Artois and that's respectable. But you have to get him in the fancy glass. Oh yeah, I have to give him the little knife. Yeah. So speaking of beers that I've had... Let's go with that. (laughs) Hot dog flavored Heineken? Um, That's the name of this episode, by the way. No, it can't be. We have an interview. <laughs> um, I had the the Hot Box Hells from mm-hmm. Benchtop. They have a Hells Lager? Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. It was okay. Okay. It was very smoky. Ooh. Um, was it roasted? I'm not sure. Okay. I'm not entirely sure. They released it during their barbecue wars. Do you think it might have been because of the environment? No. No? Just the no. beer itself? It's not like I was surrounded in smoke and thus everything tasted like oh, okay. smoke. It was the beer was... the It wasn't like rock beer-esque, okay. but it was it was, it was was edging up there. Hint to it. Yeah. I feel like Hellas Lagers and some of those lighter bodied beers are like... What is, what's the word for... What's that, what's that thing that you bake and it can collapse? It's like a dessert that... What do you call it? It's like a balloon of pastry and it can collapse. Not a fondue, but uh, that's going to drive me nuts. Souffle! Is that not a souffle? Yes, it is a souffle. Let me make sure. Because this is going to sound like I'm really smart. (laughs) Souffle. Yeah, absolutely a souffle. So, like, it's one of those beers that's really delicate, so in the brewing process, I feel I can spoil easily. Okay. Yeah, that's what I meant by souffle. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't... Again, it was... It was fine. It, sure. It, nothing, nothing crazy. I do, I do think it'll become one of their uh, like standard rotators, though. Okay. So I feel I need that because they're very sour or juicy. I feel like those are their and porters. I feel like those are their three offerings. Yeah, without a doubt. Going back to the Mexican lagers for a minute, the um, Negro Modelo counts as a, apparently a lot of beer peoples use that as their um, example of a doppelbach. And I can't huh. think of another Mexican brewery that has something of that nature, which is pretty cool. I don't think so. That's interesting. Yeah. It's good. Like, I, I actually, I'm like, okay, yeah, let's right. go with that. We both had a beer together recently at Commonwealth, the um, Pake pa- Pakeha, <laughs> that Imperial Juicy IPA. That's Yeah, that was super good. It was really good. And um, I, I rambled about this a while. I'm like, I'm a little juicied out, but that one, I'm like, oh, this is really good. It had that like citrus bite to it. Yeah, it was tasty. Very cloudy. I think I gave it a four out of five yeah, or something like that. Yeah, totally fair. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I enjoyed that a lot. I also had the um, 
similar style, although not quite as heavy as the the Hip Hop Anonymous Volume One from O'Connor's. That was good. I'm excited where they're going with the series. Mm-hmm. It was not super impressive to me. Okay. Um, I think the the thing that impressed me was it still has that kind of light, almost springtimey taste, even though it's an eight percenter. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have that like heavy likeness to it. Right. But you know me, I prefer like I'd rather have the heavy footer or something like that. Right. I had also from Benchtop a rye IPA called Slippery People. Okay. <laughs> um. <laughs> This one was, it was very much a rye IPA, um, mm-hmm. you know. Some of my favorites. Yeah. So nice and like resiny and, and. Yeah. I find they're also really malty. Like they're just, there's a lot of. Just... There's just a lot happening. Yeah. And right? I, I like that. Um, and, and it was, it was good. It was really good. I don't, I don't think I could crush a lot of them. I think after a while I'd probably lose taste in my mouth. Um, but still super good. We're checking yeah. out. Um. I've played a lot of stuff recently. Uh, so I played Lords of Hellas. Yep. Four-player Lords of Hellas. That's right. Um, God, I love that game that so game much. That game is cool. I like that game yeah. a lot. Um, played it for the first time on the new Playmat, mm-hmm. which is cool. The Playmat's huge, um, but it, it definitely helps with have, playing with all the different expansions and stuff like that. And it just helps, too. I think this, the spaces are a wee bit larger. Not not nothing crazy like the Stonemire expanded right, stuff, but right. it, it's a wee bit larger. Okay, um, so it helps with units and things like that. What's the max player count on that? Is it four, five? I five. believe. Okay, or no, it's six. It's six with oh. all the expansions. Oh, with it. Okay, yeah. Um, the base game max is four. So yeah, that was fun. Uh, we actually it came down to the wire, where uh, everybody kind of had a different way to win within a couple of turns. Okay, um, it was just a matter of. Uh, kind of luck and and seeing who was gonna who's sure. gonna come out on top. So. And it, it was a was it a monster victory? It was a monster victory. It seems like yeah. every game I play is a monster victory, and every game I play I lose. <laughs> well, so I've I've played it where all all well three of the four ways have won. Okay, I think it's fine and balanced. You know, there's a lot of people out there that think that that haven't experienced a monster victory and think that the monument victory is just um, too powerful, um, like too easy to achieve. Yeah, well, because so the whole idea is that you don't have to control the monument for three turns. You just have to control it at the end of the third turn. Which is tricksy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you can, like, you someone else could build up the last of the monument mm-hmm. and then come in and swoop it. You know? I feel like it's a game of, like, everyone's kind of doing their own thing until one person can come in and, like, oh, I'm going to take that or I'm going to prevent you from getting that far. With new players, certainly. Right. When people who have played it a few times... Or like people who who really understand risk, okay. I think like see that you know because like 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 in our, in in the game that I played last week, I kind of had control over the whole top of the map, okay. and everybody else was fighting down at the bottom, so I was just going for land control, okay. right? And just I had my my hero out on quests and stuff to get me more abilities and more cards, but sure. other than that, I was just blossoming up at up at the top. Had had that not happened, and there had been more conflict, you know. Weren't you all, like, really close from different wing conditions? Like, yep. you said the land control, then someone had the monument, and then the monsters ended up... Yeah, monsters ended up winning it, yep. Mm-hmm. And two two players were fighting for the monument. Ooh. So, yeah. It was very, very interesting. And I think that... I've probably played that game now, I don't know, seven or eight times. And okay. every time that I teach that game, I feel like like people get it. Like, oh, yeah. Like, there's there's not there's not that much happening, like, on your turn. And so it's it's just the... It's the risk thing, right? Like, here's the things you can do on your turn. Now figure out how to use that to, to win, right? Okay. How, how to strategize. And also, I feel like 
as you repeat, you're like, you can sort of see what everyone else is going for and you can react to it. Right. So exactly. paying attention during other people's turns. Can, it's it's very important. Yeah. Right. Um, and time between turns is, is very quick. So, yeah. Especially once you learn the game. Yeah. Um, yeah. I like the game a lot. I want to play it again soon. Yeah. Uh, Andrew and I played Quacks of Quedlingburg. Oh, you told me about this while, game. <laughs> yes. And uh, Angela was very upset that it did not have ducks. She, yeah, that's frustrating. <laughs> why? They're quacks. Quacks are, but that's what ducks do. Yeah, quacks are also a type of person. Oh, that's true. Yes. Oh, is that where? <laughs> that is that is where it comes there it from. Is. Look at you. I did it. I put the pieces together. Yeah. So Quacks Quedlingburg is a bag building push your luck game mm-hmm. uh, where one to one to five players um basically are you're you're creating potions right yeah um and you're putting mystery ingredients into your potions mm. right you don't you went to the grocery store you're not sure what's in your bag right so oh, you're just yeah. that's you're, how i shop <laughs> you're just pulling stuff out right um and you're pulling this out and into your into your cauldron in front of you um and the whole idea is as you're drawing things you're going to draw um these special tokens which are uh, called bubbling tokens. Okay. Basically, if your bubbling number ever exceeds seven, then your potion explodes. Oh, it's like an overboil. Yeah, and you have okay. to stop. Oh, right. That's the push your luck. So that's the push your luck element. Okay. Right? Very cool. Um, but as you get different uh, different ingredients in there, different ingredients will give you different things. So like uh, your spiders that you add in, mm-hmm. uh, if you add them at the end, you're going to get more money at the end of the round. Okay. And you use that money to then buy more ingredients. Right. So there's a time for these, like the timing is important too, or like the timing. In like, the wi- like when you when you draw them. Okay, is important. Yeah, the the mushrooms <laughs> care about how many pumpkins you have. <laughs> <laughs> so if you have if you have a lot of pumpkins, you're gonna uh-huh. get to move your mushroom up further on the track, okay. and that's important because the further you're up on the track, the more points you get, yeah. the more money you get, right. and the more rubies you unlock. Everything you're saying is I don't understand it, but I'm also enticed by it. <laughs> yeah, you would, you would really really enjoy this game. Yeah, I, it's it's one of those games where it's really hard to understand it without seeing it. Yeah, um, but once you see it, it it clicks. Okay, like cool. it's it's like oh, I understand what I'm right, doing here. Right. Um, the core mechanic is really cool. So you're just drawing a piece out of the bag. The piece is gonna have a number on it, and you're going to add that number onto your track. Okay. So if the piece says two, you're going to move it up two spots and put put it there. See, I like that. Yep. Like that. And then the last uncovered spot on your on your track is what you gain points off of. Mm. So super cool, super fun. Uh, I think we came down to the to the last. Oh, that's the other cool thing. So there's a catch up mechanic where on the scoreboard each round you're going to count how many rat tails <laughs> are between the winner okay. and the non winners. Yes. How many of a rat tails there are, you're going to move your starting place up that many spots. So if there's four rat tails between us, okay. you're going to move your starting spot up four. So it's like having four free potions down. Oh, okay. Four free ingredients. I get it. Yeah. So if you overblow, you start there. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Um, it's like a checkpoint. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. That's exactly what it is. Nice. Um, and it definitely helped. Yeah. Like, Angel got out to an early lead. I caught up. Um, and I think she ended up winning by one point. Ooh. But yeah, su- super fun game. Definitely worth checking out. Yeah. The expansion just adds more. It doesn't add any crazy new mechanics, but it just adds more recipes. Okay. Um, so just more of the same, but yeah. just to spice so, it there, up. There's a lot of variability with all the ingredients. Like you can mix in different types of ingredients, and the ingredients have different uh, rule sets that you can use. Okay. Um, so it's, it's really Very cool. Very cool. Um, so I did play Trial by Trolley these past couple weeks. Oh, yeah? I just got it from Kickstarter. Super fun. Uh, Cyanide and Happiness, guys. Party game. Mm-hmm. Um, I like it because you can play your 
manipulating cards on other people's cards too. Right. So it's pretty fun. And you have this like rotation of, so the teams always change every turn. So good fun party game. Yeah. Nice and light. Um, it was a hit at our, at our last, um, game night. Does it have a stopping point? Yes. Okay. So you play, you play in any number of people and one person's removed from the two teams and you go around the table once. And as soon as everyone's played, being the judge, right. You count up the number of lost tokens you have, like the, the bad people. Right. Right. The person with the least amount of wins. Okay. Yeah. It's fun. Uh, plays in like 30 minutes, depending on the Depending on, on the people, yeah. Right, right. That's cool. Um, but yeah, super fun. And I have a pack that came with it that I haven't opened yet. So. Oh. Neat. So as as most people know, I have restarted my Warhammer journey. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, and while I am on track to finish my 2,000-point army by the time the Nova Open happens, I did start playing Warcry. Oh, is that the board game based on world war no, no. so no, else. so Warcry is um it's a skirmish version of warhammer age of sigmar oh, okay so Warcry is you've got a small war band of dudes anywhere between three and 15 models and it's much more cinematic one of the like really like kind of crazy rules in age of sigmar is that a unit can climb up a wall okay right and but it just uses its movement right normal sure. movement in Warcry, vertical movement doesn't matter. You can just jump up run. To, you yeah. can parkour up. <laughs> exactly. And so you end up with these really cinematic, like, for instance, the other day when I was playing, one of my units came and jumped off of the ledge. He was he was on, like, this, like, broken uh, graveyard fence, right? Okay. And he jumped off of that and came down with his axe and sliced the dude's head open. Dude, it's like Michael Bay plays Warhammer. Yeah. It's very it's very cinematic. <laughs> that sounds it's, cool. Yeah, that it's, sounds it's, like my, my speed. Yeah, and it, and it, it the only thing it requires a lot of terrain, right? Cuz okay. you cuz you want a lot of that like vertica- verticality and right. you want uh cover cuz you're only playing with a certain a small number of models, right? Mm-hmm. So you want some other things to kind of break it up. It's super fun. It plays in anywhere from 30 to 45 minutes. Like it's oh, cool. it's okay, nice cool. and quick. Um Yeah, that sounds fun. Is it, um, are the rule sets pretty much the same as Warhammer? No. Is it oh, it's completely different. Yeah, it's completely different. So the way that this works is you are, uh, you roll a certain number of dice every mm-hmm. turn and the dice you roll, uh, you're going to count up the number of singles, doubles, and triples you have. Okay. So yeah. Yeah. Double, doubles of one number, triples yeah. of one number, et cetera. Um, and your doubles and triples and quads, those are what give you your special abilities. So those might be like your healing auras or like your um, like your double moves or okay. your... So if you roll those, you trigger those effects like that. Yeah, so yeah. so those are basically your actions. Oh, I see. Okay. And so you can then use that double to do a certain action. Oh, okay. Um, it sounds almost, um, what is it, Dice Throne-esque? Like you're making combinations to do certain actions? Yeah, but it's only one roll. Oh, okay, gotcha. Yeah, so oh, it's, it's, it's not a Yahtzee roll where you're going to oh, roll okay. something like that. I see. Um, it's almost more imperial assault-esque oh, okay where you're like you know you're determining what you want to do based on the resources you have but yeah it's cool it's yeah. um it, it's definitely it's a good way to get in games of warhammer when you don't have a full army ready oh nice so very cool yeah that's such a cool hobby i i like watching your paint nights and being like oh that looks neat but <laughs> i can't one i can't afford it and two i don't have the skills to paint so i'd end up with like i th- i think you doubt your paint skills pretty hard well I haven't done it in a while. You yeah. know, maybe if I got back into it. I think I think you just need to paint. 
Yeah, I think doing it would make me better at it. <laughs> yeah, even if you do it for D&D, you know? Yeah, no, like, I have, I have like, because I was talking to Jenny the other day, and she's like, I'm like, Angela's going to have a paint night soon, and just have people over to paint. And you're like, I have nothing to paint. I'm like, Jenny, we have, like, boxes upon boxes of miniatures to paint. Right. Like, it's stupid how many. Also, paint. we have tons of things to paint. Sure. Like, we, yeah. But yeah, like, the, the other, the other ha- half of this that I really enjoy that I'm just starting to get back into is the terrain building stuff. Oh, cool. That's neat. Um. I'm that that that's almost like more enjoyable to me than the than the painting. Oh, okay. Because it's like more, constructing it. Yeah, it's like engineering. That know? sounds super fun, and I like the ideas you have of your modular table. Um, you know, I was looking at what you're doing with the with the miniatures, and one thing I I never was a big construction guy. Yeah. Like, I like Lego and stuff like that, but once right. you start adding glue, and I start gluing myself to myself, <laughs> I'm like, ah. well, that's why you use plastic cement, so you can't glue yourself to yourself. I'd find a way, or I'd eat it. It would be bad. All you're around. gonna drink acetone? That's that's it's not healthy. No, not at all. <laughs> yeah, I think building is like the the a big thing for me. You okay, know, it's. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's super cool. Yeah. I just I feel like it's not my skill set, so I don't. I don't know. Well, if you don't enjoy it, you don't enjoy it. Not a big deal. But you like painting. I do like painting. Yeah, I, I like it a lot. I like. I don't know why this is weird, but I like having just the base colors and mixing those rather than like having a bazillion colors. I don't know. Sure. I just well, like I finding think... that color that by mixing them. Well, I think fun. I think for you, it's different because you're painting one model. Yes. Right. If I needed to be consistent and have like an army, they'd all look like friggin' Jackson Pollock. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. Um, that's the only reason I use all the fancy colors is because. I want consistency across. That's fair. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Because um, then the only thing I have to worry about is like consistency in thinning my paints, which is a science in itself. Right. But the uh, the Gordon Beers in our area closed, which made me very sad because yes. I actually really like their food and I thought thought the uh, the brewmaster there had some really good stuff. Um, but what I didn't know is that Craftworks Holding they own Gordon Beers and Rock Bottom, which yep. is where we went to in. Uh, Indy, when we went to Gen Con, yep. we went to Rock Bottom over there. And they also own Logan's uh, Roadhouse or Steakhouse or whatever. Oh, really? I didn't, I didn't know, that, know that. Yeah, they own a, other, a whole bunch of other franchises that I didn't... I don't. They're not in this area. Right. Those are the only three I recognized. Interesting. Um, <clears throat> the other thing I didn't know is that the Gordon Beersh Brew Pub chains, mm-hmm. they're completely unrelated from the Gordon Beersh Brewing Company. Oh, it's just like a, like a licensing like they, thing? Like somebody owns the, the brewing stuff and right. the other person owns the brew pub stuff. So the the only the Gordon Beers Brewing Company is in San Jose. And I wonder how the, that works with like the mix pack stuff because the mix packs we get are local, right? I think okay. I think I have seen some that have like a brewer's like special in there, right? But I don't know. I don't think it's region specific. Okay. I think it's like this guy from this brew pub. Maybe I this. gotcha. Um, so they might have like a contest they do or okay. rotate them around. Uh, but Bevnet, the the place I was looking all this stuff up, they said that. The reason these places are closing is because of all the local breweries popping up, which makes I'm sense. Like, Man, that's just what it is. Makes sense. I think I think they were doing fine for so long because nobody was like it, breweries it was, were coming up and they were just breweries, right? Sure, they weren't pubs too, right? And so now the food truck scene is big, mm-hmm. and then some breweries have their own little kitchens inside them, right? Is, I think the worst part about it is like people go to went to work and they're like, oh, I don't have a job anymore. Right. That sucks. Right. We've talked about it a lot this year, right? Like closings and stuff like that. Sure. And it sucks, but... I well, you know, at the end of any big wave, you're going to have the the dying down yeah. of things. So. I also, you know, the recession that is likely coming isn't helping, no. you know. It's just not a not a good time to be a restaurant. Well, know? everything has their ups and downs, right? So hopefully after this, we'll see some... 
or we'll innovation from, from there. Coronavirus. Yeah, we'll all be dead. Yep, it's coronavirus. That was the other thing is there's really big brewery association thing happening in uh, San Antonio. Uh-huh. Uh, and they're like, uh, we're, <laughs> we're not canceling yet, but we're keeping an eye on the coronavirus situation. Like, right. Holy shit. So we have uh, Gabriel Robinson on interview today. He talks about his Candlelight RPG, which went through a successful Kickstarter campaign and will be distributing soon. Uh, if you look at our show notes, we'll have links to more information about him. And uh, we just talked a little bit about RPGs and what we like about them and his experiences on Kickstarter and, you know, what he gained from it, what he wish he knew and that kind of thing. So should be pretty neat. Here we go. Okay, everybody, we are here today with Gabriel Robinson. Hey. Good to hear you from you, man. Um, you are a game designer and a fiction author. Is that correct? Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're just going to give you a couple of rando questions just to get warmed up here. And the first one is, what is your go-to beer or beer style? Do you have a particular favorite? Man, for the longest time, it's been like Imperial Stout, like probably like Imperial Coffee Stout, maybe mm-hmm. some chocolate stout. Um, but recently, it's become more like dry hopped IPA. Oh, awesome. Yeah, yeah. That, that's definitely yep. me. I'm a big hop head, so big fan of those. Mm-hmm. Actually, both of those. I love my coffee and I love my beer. So, Yeah, it's kind of one or the other, yeah. Do you have a favorite brewery in the area? We're both in the Hampton Roads, Virginia area. Yeah, um, I would definitely say Benchtop right now, which I, I think, well, I've seen you play there a couple times. I know you've been there too. Oh, um, yeah. But they have a lot of, yeah, really good, you know, juicier, dry hopped IPAs. And I think that's become kind of one of my go-to places. Sure, yeah, their um, beer is fantastic. Yeah. yeah. They do a lot of mixes of their IPAs, like the super turbo robo squirrel or whatever they have now. yeah yeah it's one of those that has something that's a little different every time i feel like because it's smaller mm-hmm. yeah and their walters series of porters are also very good if you like those darker beers yeah yeah definitely yeah. i'm still kind of looking for something that has my favorite like really strong stout it used to be coelacanth like their imperial oh, right. stout mm-hmm. yeah uh reaver beach uh reaver beach brewing out in my neck of the woods they have some really good stouts too so you might want to check them out that'd be yeah and they're coming to norfolk at some point so oh that's exciting that'd be nice yeah yeah very cool the next question is what's your favorite game it can be any kind of game video game board game rpg or like a favorite type of game yeah i mean at this point it's definitely become rpgs i was playing board games for a while i got into um, the x-wing miniatures game for a long time and then just kind of started using all the miniatures and pieces for D D. that just kind of opened up this whole world of you can kind of hack together whatever you want so at this point, I'm much more into more story-based RPGs, so things like Dungeon World as opposed to D&D, where it's a little bit more just loose, like what happens in the narrative, like get the players to give you cool ideas, and probably a lot more of those to talk about, but probably a couple of my favorite ones are would be Dungeon World, Spire, which is this game of revolutionary drow. Ooh. It's a, kind of this cool steampunk world where you're fighting to overthrow your oppressors in this weird like occult uh, scavenge technology city. That sounds really cool. Yeah, yeah, it's super cool. Um, and then probably Trophy is the other one that, you know, I'm biased because I'm writing for it. But it's a, a one-shot horror, fantasy horror game where you're kind of playing the opposite of heroic, uh, you know, D&D characters because you're kind of desperate treasure hunters going into a place that doesn't want you there. Um, and it wants to kill you <laughs> or drive you against each other. So it's a very fun kind of descent into madness and you get to play really loose with your characters because they're probably doomed. So yes. it's a it's a fun, very. Um, I feel like it brings out some really cool like collaborations in the story with people. Yeah, I uh, I yeah. played a one shot of Trophy Dark with you. You ran it for uh, me, me and some friends, and 
we had a great time. It, it definitely makes you think in a different way than your standard D and D style RPG does. Yeah, you can't get as attached. Um. <laughs> oh yeah, it's like, yeah here's yeah. my character. He's gonna die. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I feel like both the board game strategy games that I enjoy and RPGs kind of pull my brain in different directions. So it kind of depends on what I'm in the mood for. Um, Mm -hmm. But I've been enjoying both quite a bit, and it's been interesting talking to people like you where you can sort of bring out... There's a bunch of different RPGs out there besides D&D, and it's Mm kind of good to get that word out. Yeah, I mean, for so many people, that's the household name, and that's usually where the conversation starts. But then, I don't know, it's it's just kind of blown my mind a little bit to see how many directions people take that stuff in, and you can go way off the deep end and just like game design theory and people talking about you know what what do our games designed to do and how are they designed to get you to interact at the table you can play some that are you know the combat in D is super fun you're playing a, a miniatures game or you can have it all just theater of the mind where you're just kind of telling a story and making it up together very abstract so ultimately it's all about getting people together at a table and, and collaborating and having a good time absolutely I also feel that um, I think we've had this discussion before, where I've had I have a very large D and D group, and I and they're all very different backgrounds, and I feel that the more structured rule set of Dungeons and Dragons works for my group, but then I do like to explore the more open ended, narrative driven RPGs, like any of the Apocalypse World or Dungeon World type of games have to offer. Yeah, it's it's kind of a stretch sometimes when you're used to just saying, "Well, what does the book say to do?" and then when you put yourselves on the spot and you're like, well, I don't know what makes sense. It's definitely a shift to kind of get a feel for because classically, you know, it's, I'm the dungeon master. I have planned everything out in way too much detail. And, and, you know, I know this world and it's me revealing it to you. But when you shift it a little bit and it's kind of like, I don't know, to someone tell me a, a cool detail. What do you see in this tavern? Or, you know, it's, it's crazy. Cause it's, then you have four or five minds thinking of ideas at the table and it ends up with something you never knew was going to... You end up with a product you didn't know you were going to ever end up with. Yeah. It's funny. I've been reading a lot of Dungeon World articles to incorporate into my D&D game without playing Dungeon World. <laughs> <laughs> it's because I like the ideas of the collaborative storytelling, but I feel like I still need to have my players in that D&D framework because there's like rules. There's a rule for this, so you can't just like break that rule. I'm like, okay, well... Yeah. You know, <laughs> it, it's different strokes for different folks, and I feel like... A lot of my friends who are coming into RPGs for the first time and maybe they have a game background, the the structure of Dungeons and Dragons is a little easier to do. But again, it's cool to pop in those, um, like you said, collaborative moments where other people describe things. It's also good when I honestly didn't plan for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or it buys you time. You're like, is there a, th-, you know. <laughs> sure. Is that what's happening? I don't know. What does that look like? And then you're thinking about it for a few more seconds. Right. <laughs> And I'm like, you know what? That idea is way better than what I was thinking. So yeah, let's go with that. Yeah. Yes, yes, there is. <laughs> right. Even if nothing else, the section in Dungeon World about how to GM is, I feel like, the best part of the book. Even if you don't get into that rule set, there's just some really interesting things about um, thinking of the world as this living, evolving thing. Kind of like, you know, if the adventurers don't solve this one quest, well, what is going to happen in the world or right. Is that what they call, um, they call that fronts. Is that fronts in that game? Yeah. So it's like these like things that are constantly moving and evolving, even if the players don't interact with it. Right. And they don't have to be super planned out. It's just a very broad thing. Like maybe pick three, you know, there's your, your big bad that's plotting to, you know, take over the world or something. Maybe there's a couple other factions out there that have their own agendas. 
I like the way it has you offer, I think it says the grim portents or something like uh, signs that things are happening in the world and maybe you want to see what that's about and then if they don't look into it maybe next time they come back to that area it's progressed a little bit and so as a person running it you, you don't have to over plan but it kind of helps you get these like really nice details so to, to your players it feels like there's a real world that's changing around them so i agree completely yeah i've been reading uh sly flourishes lazy dm i don't know if you're familiar with that book yeah yeah um, but it uses a lot of those things, and, and it's interesting because my last few sessions, they've been really wacko, but in a really fun way. And my first campaign that I did with this group was like pages upon pages of me planning way too much that it, they didn't see, but more than the tip of the iceberg of it. And now in this session, I have like one page, and there it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Gabriel, your uh, Candlelight RPG has just completed its Kickstarter campaign. For sure, yeah. Uh, so it was part of the Zine Quest, which Kickstarter did last year for the first time, and kind of this harkening um, back to old school RPG zines. You know, people used to put together their own, you know, stapled pamphlets and write their own material and start sharing them. So encouraging people to do RPGs in that format. So they did it last year for the first time, and I think I want to say there's over a hundred projects and like over ninety percent of them funded, which is really high for Kickstarter apparently. Right, that's fantastic. Yeah, because it's you know low cost. Um, a lot of people were doing uh, supplements for games they liked, or just oddball weird ideas that seemed original. And it uh, basically the pitch for Candlelight is a, a game of restless spirits that are reckoning with their dark past and trying to find hope in the haunted forest that wants to trap them there. So you play as ghosts. It's assuming that your characters have died in this forest, and it's a one shot game where you're trying to escape the forest uh, before you become like a, a monstrosity of the forest and haunt it forever. That's a very cool concept. Uh, I think the only other like game where I've been a ghost is like Wraith the Oblivion back in the 90s. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> I started reading some of those things just to kind of see what other people have done. There's some interesting takes on it. A lot of them are basically the same as far as character mechanics go, but it's this ghost world, which is fine. Um. <laughs> yeah, that's very cool. It adds a personal yeah. touch to it. And I think you added something in the stretch goals or in the description about how you can sort of implement that idea for maybe if like you had a character in another RPG that, that passed away, they could run this as sort of a epilogue. Yeah. So this game is based on trophy as far as its mechanics go. So the, the term for that, they call it rooted in trophy. Just like if a game is um, based on blades in the dark, they call it forged in the dark, that kind of thing. So it uses the same mechanics when trophy, it's a one shot where you're going into the forest. This kind of flips it around. So you're trying to go out. And then because you're assuming your characters are dead, my idea was that um, this could be a fun in any sort of campaign. You could drop this in as a one shot. So say there was a TPK and all your characters are dead. And then you get to have this extra session where you kind of uh, have a, go a bit more introspective and like look at what was the last thing those characters hope to achieve or, or how do they reflect on that? And are they, you know, are they vengeful ghosts now or are they just kind of sad or, you know, what matters after you've died? That kind of um, view of the game. So you could kind of have this other side of your characters that you might not explore in different scenarios. Right, and it's a way to sort of say farewell to a character if, again, a TPK that came out of nowhere, you're like, well, uh, <laughs> it can sort of put a bookend to your story, even though it's disappointing that you lost them. Yeah, or it could even like embed them in the world. Like My other thought was that it could be a prologue, so you might be you know, building a fantasy world and, okay, there's a haunted forest or you know, ocean cave or whatever. And you do this one shot and now you've got 
a little more detail of some of the inhabitants of that cave, you know, kind of an idea of maybe some tragic event happened there in the past and it's just fleshed out story you've got in a few hours. But my idea of, of adapting other characters, the nice thing about a trophy is that mechanically it's really simple. It's kind of like in a lot of these story games where you just have fictional tags. So you might say your character's a ranger and that just means you're skilled you get like three skills you say you're skilled in hunting like beasts and traps or something so anytime you're rolling a dice related to those themes you might get a bonus on it it's very very straightforward so if you had a, a whole you know dnd character sheet you might say you know my character is a paladin so maybe the three most relevant things to that character even though they're a ghost now it might be something like you know protecting or honor or you know maybe they're a religious character so like um, deities or something rather than having a set number of statistics you basically have like a, a background or a few talents and you just sort of make your case based on what you're trying to do right. to the gm and that way it's less number crunching more just making sense of your personality as a character yeah exactly yeah, yeah. and it, it makes the the game flow a little faster um it encourages more collaboration and like you said making a case for it you know you could come up with some really creative ways to use those things um, but also my thinking with this is uh, again is like kind of an introspective like see another side to a character a lot of the things that would matter when you're alive aren't going to matter in the same way you know if you're this badass fighting fantasy character but now you're a ghost and you're physically barely able to interact with the world mm -hmm. you know how much does fighting give you any sort of skill but, you know, your sort of ferocity might be a thing or your like tenacity and defending your your allies. Maybe that plays out in this weird afterlife spirit world in some other way. So you're still getting like a dice bonus, but it's not as technical. And that being so broad, you could kind of find a way to adapt that from pretty much any game. I'm still working on that section and I've got another writer collaborating to kind of um, she's going to do all the different categories from the d, &D classes and maybe some other kind of broad popular games like sci-fi stuff uh your idea of the of the using it in different ways has just sort of sparked my imagination right now because i have well spoilers if you're in my D, &D group listening to this but <laughs> if the characters by some chance go to other planes of existence and they can't interact with it the same way i could kind of use some of the ideas presented in this candlelight material to translate it in a way that might make more sense to them so i might check that out too yeah yeah, we should chat about that too. I'd be kind of curious, um, you know, if you have any ideas for for how to distill a character. That's one thing I'm working on. Because, again, I, I like the idea of giving you another way to look at the character, and it also might invite you to to pick backgrounds that aren't all about mechanical advantage. You know, you might have a character who's maybe a terrible person, like the trophy characters. You know, you're a you're an escaped fugitive, or you you know you're a criminal, and you're doing this desperate thing to try and you know, maybe you're a criminal, but you have good intentions. <laughs> like, right, right. You're trying to get your your family member out of prison, so you're trying to go steal the treasure or whatever. So, just I like the idea of opening that stuff up a lot. Yeah, I've I've really enjoyed that because, as I mentioned with my large group, I have a large uh, diversity of the way people play. I have I have a lot of number crunchers, a lot of optimizers, uh, mm -hmm. people that just want to you know fight the big bad and and beat it with numbers. But I feel like I, I like all aspects of it. It's just trying to take things from other rpgs and other ideas and incorporate i think that makes the one campaign different from another yeah it's it's fun too with you know to start to realize you can take a mechanic from one game and just tack it onto the game you can just say well here's a special rule for this situation because 
yeah, you're in a, a weird other dimension. Things don't work the same and you don't even have to really make the most sense of it. And you can do things like, you know, in, in this game and others, um, it's a dice pool mechanic. You're just trying to add more dice to get a better chance of rolling a six. They're all D6s. So there's no like math involved. It's just uh, roll the dice and then kind of building a case for how many dice you get. And so like, you know, the consequences happen pretty quickly and that's kind of, it keeps it exciting in a different way. Right. You know, it's not like your combat rounds where you have to pause and look up your AC. You know, it's just. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's not, it, it did move very smoothly. It definitely put the focus more on the storytelling and less on the, the combat, which I'm sure some people really enjoy. And then some people, you know, prefer the mm-hmm. more mechanical versions of combat. But, you know, mm-hmm. that's why I like taking things from different games and sort of blobbing them, Frankensteining them together. Yeah. Speaking of random um, mechanics, and I might cut this out. I just wanted to mention it to you. <laughs> I've been playing um, the Star Trek RPG uh, with a few friends. Um, it's by Modifius, the game company that uh, is also currently in charge of the World of Darkness games. Okay. And it has this really cool 2D20 system. Um, and the way it works is kind of akin to the World of Darkness is you have like attributes and then maybe a talent. Like You might be good at commanding and you might have engineering background. And you mm-hmm. combine those numbers together, and you just have to roll lower than them on these 2d20s. Nice. Yeah, so rolling low is a good thing in this game. But the, the really cool mechanic that they have is they have these things called um, momentum, where if your character does something particularly good, you collect like these basically poker chip kind of things. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're a group resource that anyone in the party can spend to you may add extra dice to their dice pool or re-roll a die or something. That's cool. But there's there's a flip to it where there's a threat, which are like the DM gets these tokens and he can spend these tokens on his bad guys to have them succeed at stuff. So it's this weird little back and forth balance where you can decide, oh, I'm a, I want to succeed here knowing that down the road things are going to get harder. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's uh, super just cool. Just a weird little mechanic. I'm, I'm like, oh, you guys are come up with some really neat ideas. I mean, again, it's that's making you... it's it's all about the decisions you have to make and it's, it's nothing like putting you in, you know, a hard situation where you're, you're as a player, you're gambling, you're pressing your luck. No matter what happens, if you succeed or fail, like it's going to be interesting. So that's right. super cool. Going back to your Candlelight project. Uh, I'm, I'm interested to also see what your experiences with Kickstarter is. Was this your first Kickstarter campaign that you've done? Yeah. What was the process like when going through the whole Kickstarter the whole debacle. <laughs> what, what kind of uh, obstacles did you encounter? Or what did you learn while doing this? Well, I guess, first of all, um, I don't think I would have attempted it if it wasn't a ZineQuest project because I've read a lot about just, you know, Kickstarter can be risky. You really have to plan things well. You have to really, like, look over your budgets and stuff like that. But it felt like much less pressure when I'm just making a booklet, even though I definitely am putting a lot of work into making that, like, the nicest quality I can. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> but, you know, if it was definitely low low pressure, ultimately you're just designing something and printing it and shipping it to someone. It's not like a, a board game with a lot of pieces. You can concentrate more on the content rather than the physicality of it. Yeah. Um, so I did a lot of reading there's um, another RPG designer had started to put together like data from last year's zine quest and just said, you know, here are things that did well and why, and kind of here's things you should think about and talk to a few other people that I knew who were also planning their own projects. So that was really helpful to just um, get a general idea of what, what would be safe to attempt as far as like funding goals and kind of the whole thing, what I should set prices for things at. As far as setting things up on the page, it's it was pretty intuitive. Um, 
you know, you, you basically it has all these sections. You you describe your project. You can upload pictures. You can describe your different goals. You can paste things in there. So that was pretty straightforward. And then it approves. Like once you finish your page, you kind of submit it to them for approval. And mine went through like within a few seconds. I think because the amount I was asking for was low. I just put my funding goal at 700. Okay. Which I probably could have put higher, but I wanted to make sure it funded early. Um, then you can send out like a preview link. Um, there's a, a phase where you can get feedback on your page before you launch it, which is helpful. Sure. So people can notice typos or, you know, let you know if it makes sense or whatever. But yeah, it's like setting up your own web page. And then also once the campaign's done, it's still there. And then it actually lets you edit it further if you want to just change the presentation of it. Oh, nice. So everything's launched from there. And then once you've launched the project, um, like I had the Kickstarter app on my phone, so you can see like updates for when someone backs it or you can keep track of the amounts and that kind of thing. Yeah, very neat. And then from here, once you're, because you've obviously had a successful campaign, um, where does it go? What are the, what are the next steps now in your in your production of this? So right now, I mean, the biggest thing is for me to finish writing. <laughs> um, I had, I've been going through a few drafts of it and this is my first time trying to like mechanically write out a game even though okay. I'm using another system so sure. that's what's slower because there's play testing and getting feedback so I'd already done some of that I also got let's see seven other writers as stretch goals who are all they kind of worked out for me because they're bigger names and doing their own games so they're really nice and you know contributing to my project well that's fantastic yeah so that, that was kind of my goal too is to include other people so it wasn't just all resting on me (laughs) um so i'm working on the writing i'm getting basically a bunch of one page random tables from these writers just to add a lot of cool other ideas to the game right my brother-in-law does layout actually i'm really lucky because he's a a graphic designer already by trade nice yeah he's been getting that together and it's looking amazing so far so once the writing is done i'll be sending it to an editor to kind of pull it all together i've got some art already commissioned and paid for and finished but one of the stretch goals was extra art so that'll be another thing too but once all the writing's done and edited and so then we'll, we'll be working on the layout um, and once that's all good to go we can send that out to backers as a pdf so they'll have the digital version and then we'll be printing it locally so um, i've already done a test run of the printing just to kind of see what it would look like and get a feel for the the weight of it and that's another thing too which is cool about zines is if you can make sure it's under a certain weight, it um, counts as a letter internationally. Oh, nice. Yeah, so it's pretty <laughs> pretty simple. <laughs> so that way I could just say ships anywhere, you know, shipping's included and kind of eat the cost if it's a little more for Europe. But, you know, locally it's probably going to be pretty cheap to ship. That's fantastic that you're using local printer and everything. Was your campaign a um, multinational or was it uh, just U.S.? Or? Um, no, I just said anywhere in the world. I, I did research that a lot too where um, – a lot of other zines did the same thing because, again, if it's not uh, over a certain amount, is from what I understand, as far as like shipping to Europe and stuff, it's just a letter. Like it doesn't um, get extra taxes thrown on top of it and stuff like that. Oh, I see. And there might be some. I'll have to double check. I think I, I had a good number of backers from Europe, but I didn't see anywhere too crazy. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, so I've heard some places like there's designers, uh, game designers in the Philippines, and they're talking about how like half the time they don't get packages or. Oh, no. You know, it's just a weird system. Yeah. <laughs> Yikes. Is there anything now that the Kickstarter campaign has been successful that you kind of wish you knew going back? Like, if you can go back in time and talk to yourself before you launch, is there anything that you would like to do or differently? 
Yeah, I mean, I guess some of it, I realized in launching it, you know, the marketing side of it was something I was not really experienced at doing. Um, I'd kind of been off of Facebook a lot more for a while and on Twitter, oddly enough, just for gaming stuff, because it's actually great for that. So it did make me kind of jump back onto Facebook and think about other ways to advertise. Um, So I probably could have started that stuff a lot sooner, even, you know, Reddit, just forums where they're talking about games um, to kind of share your ideas of what you're working on and build up some hype around it. And I think the other thing, oddly enough, was stretch goals. Like I had a few in mind, but it did a lot better than I thought. (laughs) Having some higher level stretch goals in mind might have helped, so I didn't have to scramble so much at the end. Because I was, it could have just been my imagination, but I was worrying about, you know, if I don't keep showing something new and exciting as it keeps building, like what if people decide not to back it and they cancel their pledges? Oh, I see. Keep keeping the interest in. There. Yeah. Um, so maybe planning out a few more things like that in advance. Um, but besides that, uh, I felt pretty good about it. Yeah. Or it seems to me you're like, oh, well, everything went better than I expected, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is mm-hmm. a good problem to have. Yeah. Yeah, different kind of pressure now. It's like, well, good. I don't want to let people down. You know, the 400-something people who want my zine now, it's it's a a good problem. Um, Things that helped, I think, were um, having the cover art done, like that came out really great. Um, Having some sample layout done to show, you know, here's what the inside of the zine will look like and putting some extra work into like doing a test print and photographing that. We took some cool pictures like out in the woods to kind of match the theme. Oh, nice. Yeah, so even having a couple of just really good quality pictures and you know enticing descriptions for people to back it, I think helped. Right, I think the picture, uh, even I was looking for it, but while scrolling through my feed, whenever I saw the the image or the artwork, I'm like, oh, this is something I'd probably be interested in. So as people are scrolling through their phones, it's good to have good artwork just to grab the attention, bring it to the campaign. Yeah, and that's, I mean, I also thought about you know, having backed a lot of Kickstarter stuff, like that's what grabs me too. Like if I don't like the art, I'm not going to look any further, you know, <laughs> if it, mm-hmm. if it's intriguing, then I'll want to know more about it. Um, but also, yeah, just getting in that mindset of like, okay, you have to really get to the point, like make a good pitch for your game. What's interesting about it? What's unique? And like, what are people going to get? Um, and then, you know, Hey, here's some even cooler things that will be unlocked if, you know, we meet these stretch goals. So kind of an incentive to share it and back at a higher level. I did a couple of things with that that I think worked out well and borrowing ideas from some other campaigns. A cool thing going around in some of the indie game circles is uh, community copies. So there's sites, uh, there's a site called itch.io that is a lot of indie uh, role-playing games and video games, but a lot of the games you you buy there digitally. So you can, uh, there's community copies for anyone who, you know, just can't afford the game or for whatever reason, it's just a no questions asked honor system thing. Like if you can't afford it, here's a free copy. Oh, that's that's cool. Yeah, like people do like a limited amount. I think it's it's kind of inspired by like cafes where you'll like pay a little extra so someone can get a free cup of coffee if they can't afford it. Oh, right. Yes. Yeah. But with games. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like that. That's neat. Yeah. Yeah. And ultimately, more people are going to play your game. So I, I had a tier where if they paid like $4 extra, it would unlock another free copy for someone else. And then I had a, a tier where I would write sort of an ominous, uh, I think I put a blessing and a warning. So a couple like weird cryptic sentences I'll write in your zine to kind of say, you know, watch out, don't follow the glowing lights in the forest or, you know, some little unique phrase that'll be written in your zine. So you could pay a few dollars extra for that too. I think that enticed me when I was looking at it. I'm like, yeah, I kind of want that to happen. (laughs) How how many, how many dozens of these (laughs) cryptic messages do you have to now construct? Do you know off the top of your head? Um, I think for so I I limited that to forty, but then okay. it filled up, so I added twenty more, and that <laughs> so now I have sixty. But 60 you know, 
Yeah, I can sit down and work on it. The other one only a few people went for because I did price it a good deal higher is like a custom um, like memorial or uh, eulogy for your character. So I'm going to make a little questionnaire and kind of just get a feel for like, you know, what what was cool about your character? What are things that they did, uh, you know, you know, in their life or whatever? And then I'll write like maybe a, a hundred or so word little kind of epitaph for them. So they can have a cool little thing that's unique for their character. Oh, that's very cool. That's a that's a very interesting stretch goal. Yeah, yeah. One question I had was, uh, what is the what when it uses the trophy system? It's what what's it called? Branded in trophy or what did you? It's say? called ro- uh, rooted in trophy. Rooted in trophy. Does that mean in order to play your RPG, you require the rule set of trophy, or is that sort of included in that, or how does that work? Uh, it's totally included. Yeah, you don't need to have trophy. It's kind of just basically giving credit to the designer. But the designer, um, Jesse Ross, who who created trophy, is super cool about that too. He, um, I don't remember all the terms, but it's like an open license. So he's very encouraging of you know take this game and hack it. Oh, very like a standard reference document kind of thing. Yeah, that's that's what's called. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That, very cool. It's a trophy SRD. You can look up. Mm-hmm. Is there anything that I should have asked you but but didn't? <laughs> <laughs> Um, God, not specifically. I would say, I mean, things that I'm excited about, you know, this makes me think of is just how many amazing indie RPGs are out there. Like it's such a cool scene. Um, I kind of came across it gradually. Like I talked about, you know, reading D and D and then discovering like, Oh, there's dungeon world and blades in the dark and some of these other really unique things. And then realizing like then online, you know, even among those books, people are doing their own hacks of it or, you know, someone puts up their own class from a game um but there's a just super vibrant scene if you just start finding all the the games people are creating and sharing and writing stuff for each other and making hacks of games um there's just such a cool like proliferation of ideas and just even more so than some of the bigger published games because i think stuff just shows up faster so there's always like really cool emerging ideas and more than i'll ever have time to play all right but it's just been very exciting to see (laughs) Uh, that's fantastic. I'm sure you have learned a lot on this journey, creating your own RPG, and uh, I'm very excited to check it out. Yeah, well, excited to play it. So, before I let you go, there's a question I always ask my guests, and that is, if you had to pair a game and a beer together, what would it be? Is there, It could be a classic game, it could be Candlelight itself, or Trophy. What beer would you pair with a game? Ooh, um, one beer that I could think of would be Perennial. I think it's a coffee stout I forget oh it's called sump it's like their like imperial coffee stout which is probably one of my favorite beers i've had it's just you know silky rich delicious i think that would go great with the game of candlelight since we were talking about it you could play it at, at night with candles and it's just a, a sip of just rich delicious darkness <laughs> that could go with your game oh it look it looks amazing i'm looking at the uh the artwork for it right now and it has that sort of ominous look to to the label so i think that's a fantastic pairing yeah i think that would go great <laughs> yeah. uh so gabriel thanks for spending time with us today where can people go to learn more about your your work your projects what's going on with you so probably the best overall way if you use twitter i'm on twitter at trollhands like the monster troll hands. Okay. <laughs> um, I'm still setting up this other page, um, but I have um, an itch.io page. So the address for that is glowingroots.itch.io, um, which I'll be putting Candlelight on once it's finished so you can get it digitally there. Um, and one of my goals, it's not up yet, but I'll be setting up more um, you know, games through that 
and then publishing more games in the future. All right. Well, we are excited to follow you along and see you, um, you know, your, where your creative works take you. Uh, do you have any parting words of advice, inspiration, or ominous warning for our, <laughs> our listeners? Sure. I mean, advice, you know, um, take inspiration from everything wherever you can. There's always something weird. You might see a weird ad out there or uh, someone says something odd on the street, and that could be a character in a game. You could start a whole game based off of something strange. So I just think um, take in the strangeness and unusual around you and, and make it your own and share it with others. And um, don't follow the lights if you're out alone in the forest. Uh, I like it. Hey, thanks, man, for doing this. And um, yeah, just really appreciate it, bud. Yeah, likewise, man. Thanks. All right, cool. Hey, I'll see you later, okay? All right, take it easy. Bye-bye. All right, bye. Thanks, Gabe, for uh, for coming out and and interviewing with us. It was was a great time. And we hope to have some more guests on soon. And uh, let us know who you want to hear on the Tablehawk podcast. Absolutely. Maybe it's you. So we have a bunch of uh, events coming up. Do we? We do. March 11th is our first game night at Commonwealth Brewing. Yeah, and, should be fun. And that'll be featuring the game Gizmos. Yeah, Gizmos, a game from Simon, formerly Cool Mini or Not. It is a engine-building marble game. Mm-hmm. Super fun. Uh, come out, check us out. We'll, we'll be giving a copy away. We also have on March 18th at O'Connor's Brewing, we're giving away... Mega Land. Yes. Push your luck game right after St. Patrick's Day. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Table Hops Podcast. Be sure to visit us at tablehopspodcast.com, leave us an iTunes review, or visit us on social media at Table Hops Podcast. Be sure to check out our videos on YouTube and email us your feedback and questions to tablehopspodcast at gmail.com. And remember, good beers, good games, great, great times! times.